there was some stupid thing on one of those stupid social networks recently. Mm-hmm. And they were like, something about vertical video or anamorphic or whatever. I don't know. And I know we've made jokes about this before, but I think that we've gotten far enough down the vertical video road that it's time for vertical anamorphic. <laughs> That's just the uh, the next logical step. And I don't, you're thinking? I don't even mean like extra tall. I'm thinking like you're shooting three by two, four by three on a one one point five squeeze. That's basically two to one. I mean, we're already shooting similar vertically anyway. I think it's time we turn those anamorphic sideways and get some like, really <laughs> weird, like the whole, the uh, oval bokeh is the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Now it's like fat bokeh. Yeah, it's like a funhouse mirror. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I want to get some. I want to get some fat bokeh, and I want to get some weird streaks. And I think it's time. I think it's time for vertical anamorphic. Yeah, it's the only time filming weird streaks is uh, okay to do. I mean, there's other times. There are the times. There's like mm-hmm. football games. Sometimes like a weird streak might run across the field. True. There. Maybe maybe some sort of like paranormal type mm-hmm. video. Maybe yeah, sure, sure. Maybe there's like a like it's like a jet thing, and they're like doing smoke trails, and like it's okay. just a little weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And maybe it's vertical anamorphic. You could shoot all those things in vertical anamorphic. <laughs> I think in order to do that, though, you're going to need to buy one of those nanomorph lenses, and we know that'll never happen. Yeah, well, when it does. I'm going to start my vertical you're, anamorphic. You're only ever going to use it vertical. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I'm going to I'm going to start a TikTok channel and it's going to become a trend and it's going to be like the hot the hot new thing. Everyone's going to be like, "How do you get that fat bokeh?" Oh, you want fat bokeh? <laughs> Let me show you the way. <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. I don't know what to say about all that. It's just too much. Can't handle it. I mean, you got you gotta like grow your capacity, Daniel. <laughs> this is coming whether you like it or not. <laughs> we're all living in a fat boca world. Or we will be soon. <laughs> If you say so. None of that skinny bokeh. None of that skinny bokeh. Mm-hmm. I like my bokeh to have a little bit of a little bit of girth to it. <laughs> All right, we need we need to move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> I know next to nothing about the Leica M11P. All right, that's perfect. I also know very little about it, but it has one very interesting feature, which is that somehow it authenticates images that you take with it. So is it like it has that new Adobe file stuff built in that we talked about like a week or two uh, ago? I don't I don't think it's that. I mean, it, they didn't really mention that. It just kind of sounds like its own its own thing. It's own, you know, it's own Leica magic, but Okay, okay. This is a new this is a new Leica camera. Um which, you know, super expensive and all that. But Yeah, sure. It's, it, it's probably it's, a rangefinder style. Mm-hmm. Probably looks real sleek, probably yep. shooting it in monochrome. Yeah, but the special thing about this camera is that it puts like a fingerprint sort of thing on your pictures that's supposed to like authenticate that it came from a real like a camera and not AI generated stuff. And I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. It's, uh, you know, something that uh, we've been talking about a little bit with this AI generated stuff and all that. Um, And this is maybe one of the first cameras that's come out that seems like it's trying to address that. I think what this is, is that C2PA authentication, which I believe is exactly what we were talking about last time, okay, so which it is, is the, it's the Adobe authenticator thing. And like I mentioned, they were going to do it. It's cool to see a camera finally come out with it of like, here's the first one. And I know that like Nikon and maybe, maybe Lumix, Nikon for sure have already ag- committed to, you know, putting this into their cameras. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if we didn't see this in every camera uh, over the next, yeah. you know, three years. Yeah, I'm still curious if it's really going to make a difference. I mean, it seems like it. It feels like you could fake all this stuff too. Like, I don't, I don't understand how they're getting around that. But I mean, I guess it's just like you know, encry- any sort of any form of encryption where you know there's like a certified signature and all that. And so maybe it is actually secure. But yeah, I've been thinking about that. As far as what if you took a screenshot of a picture and then fake the authentication mm-hmm. on it, but maybe it's a matter of the devices that you're using to even create 
like create a screenshot are going to have some sort of you know keyed way to authenticate or yeah. you know market. And like, are all of our screenshots then going to be C two P A? Like, is yeah. that just going to be added into the operating system? I don't know. System? I mean, because I mean, the way that the way that that sort of thing usually works is like you can sign something with a digital signature. So the way I'm familiar with it is like if you make a software application, you can sign yeah. that mm-hmm. and the way that something like that is signed is that you have a private key, like you as the creator have a private key that you don't give out. And so theoretically, I mean, you know, unless that encryption is broken, then theoretically it would actually be like verifiably from that source or not. But I don't know. It's supposed to carry through if you like shoot the photo and then it it comes from the camera. It's like, this is your, photo and then you bring it in through Lightroom whenever you export from Lightroom it's supposed to then retain the same key or hashing right or you export from Lightroom I don't know if Lightroom is going to then have the ability to add a hash or a key to mm-hmm. photos that you import that don't have C2PA yeah. not sure what that looks well, like it's just kind of all very new very 1.0 and I honestly haven't seen too much information on this apart from the announcements at that Adobe Summit thing that was like maybe a month ago I think that's what's that's what gets me is like it's like i can see how you could generate this signature and say like this is definitely from a leica m11p like i get that but what i don't get is how if i have that picture what stops me from like taking that and modifying it with ai like if i use photoshop and do like the generative fill or if i even just like use ms paint and just drop a different thing on top like i don't know like i don't i'm not sure how that how that fingerprint stays like maybe they're encoding the actual like, content of the image into that encryption key somehow i don't know it's on the c2pa.org website there is an explainer and a specification and this explainer is not aggressively long i okay. feel like uh you should read this and come back and tell me about it okay maybe, maybe <laughs> i should maybe i need to go do some more homework and <laughs> <laughs> sounds exhausting it sure does yeah. someone someone will explain it to us later yeah well pretty cool um I, I do think we're going to see some more cameras and just thought it was interesting that it's already appearing. Like I kind of thought it would take longer before we saw it on a real camera. Yeah, they must have is. been coordinating this ahead of time. I would expect that if they were talking to Leica, you know, maybe other, other camera manufacturers have already been talking about it. Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. There was a new camera that came out today and they did not mention this in that new camera. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, that new camera is a, a similar price point, I assume, to this uh, Leica. Almost certainly similar <laughs> price point. So you want to tell us what this is? <sighs> I think you should. Fine. So Sony had this event and they announced the event a week or so ago or a week or two ago. And everybody was like, oh, what's this going to be? And I don't really know if there were any rumors around what that. A what little bit. There was. Were there, were there mm-hmm. some? Okay. Well, I didn't know what it was going to be because I don't follow Sony rumors. But anyway. It turns out uh, this made a pretty big splash. So they announced the A9 III. And the big thing about this camera, besides the price, is that it's the first mirrorless full-frame global shutter camera. I don't think you said that correctly, Daniel. Let me, let me, let me rephrase it. It's the first mirrorless full-frame global shutter camera. That is a lot of uh, sarcasm quotes. I mean, you know, the global sensor... Cameras have been out before. Full frame global sensors have been out before. This is certainly not the first. Yeah. I think mirrorless is the key modifier here. Yeah, it's like the first global sensor in a normal camera that you can hold mm-hmm. in your hand that has that form factor, maybe. Yep. It's sure this is Daniel, this is a pretty big freaking deal. It it really kind of is. Like I mean people have been interested whew. in this kind of thing for a long time and now there's actually a camera with it. Just looking through the specs and the splash and this is this has huge sony energy (laughs) yes it does (laughs) as far as like we make the sensors we're gonna have the coolest like most forward tech that you can put into a camera before anybody else Mm -hmm. and it felt like maybe i don't know five six years ago and then before that they were making huge leaps in front of people but with the release of the a7r5 and the a i guess not the c cameras were kind of nothing but like the a7r5 and the a7 IV and the a7s3 and it's it's like not really that impressive and they didn't seem like they were that much better or that much cooler than what 
Nikon or Canon was doing. Yeah, I mean, they, they did have the AI stuff, but in terms of just like pure image specs, they weren't really blowing anything away. And this is this is that. This is just the most Sony Sony thing that yeah. I've seen in it really years. Is. Yeah. They didn't give the cameras out ahead of time either, which was very strange. Not traditional Sony. They scheduled the event. They bring everybody to the event, didn't brief anyone beforehand. And then they brief them at the event and then mm-hmm. give them a hands-on. So, like, yeah. everyone's scrambling to get information out. Yeah, and there's no videos on it yet. The inf- there are now. There are now. But the information has been very controlled. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that they're, you know, providing the press release and all this, all these things, they're holding back certain information, like dynamic range, and being very careful with, like, how they're introducing and releasing this. And it makes me feel like... They're holding back where the compromises are. Mm. Things like dynamic range or noise performance. Yeah. And are those going to be like okay, average, good, great? And it's like they want to, they're, they want to control the messaging around this heavily. And I find that a little interesting. Yeah. A little suspicious, maybe. But mm-hmm, maybe I suspicious. I mean, honestly, even if there are compromises around those things, I think this is still a big step forward. And I mean, it makes me excited about what's, you know what? What's to come in cameras? Yeah, we're like talking around. Like, there's, there's, there's a lot to get into here. Yeah, I have like a few more questions, just at the general Sony level, before we make a deep dive into this A nine three. Okay. When did the A nine two come out? That's a good question. Um, as as a professed not Sony expert, I don't know the answer to that. Twenty nineteen. Okay, so it's been four years. That's reasonable. Ish. Okay. There's 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 been two A9s and before it was kind of you know A7 here's the the mid-tier and I guess A9 was the like the photocentric high tier. Yeah, it's as far what, as if you mm-hmm. wanted the best photo camera, like maybe you were leaning towards the A9 and all the A7 stuff was more of like a hybrid. Yeah. Even though they Although do have the, the high resolution and yeah, the mid the, and the, the R one also seemed really the A seven R always mm-hmm. seemed really photo oriented. And then there's also the A one. Right. So they released the A one and there's only been one A one. And it's not a barbecue sauce or steak sauce, I guess. But it's a camera. And that seemed like that was the flagship. Like mm-hmm. this is the best of the best of the best. And now they have this A nine. Yeah. And I don't I don't understand the order of the line. When I look at when I look at Nikon, they're like the best one is the highest number. So here's the Z9, and then the Z8, and then the Z7, and then the Z6. And as you go down, they get lesser in price and lesser in feature. Yes. And then if you add more numbers, like Z50, that's it's also like a lower, lower tier. Lower tier, right. Canon, opposite. Yep. R3, R5, R6. Like, as they go up, they get lower tier. Yeah. R10, R1. What is what is Sony doing? It's <laughs> a great question. You have the, the A7 series. And then on one side, the A9, that's a higher tier camera. And then on the A1, that's a higher tier camera. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I have to imagine that they didn't want to call it like the A11 or something because, you know, then you're getting into those more numbers thing. And the more numbers ones are always worse. They they ran it. They didn't strategize well enough with their numbers. I think that's one question. And the other question is, why is this camera an A9 and not an A1? I have the exact same question. Why is it not an A1 Mark II? Yeah. It seemed like the A1 was the the feature camera of here is the highest specs. It was the first time we saw a stacked full-frame sensor that could read out just as crazy fast as that camera can read out. And like here's here's like the next thing. This global sensor readout in a photo camera, mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like we'll get yeah. into how crazy it is. I don't understand why that's on A1. Is it a resolution thing? Is the A1 supposed to be for resolution and then the A9 is not supposed to be for resolution? Because I thought the A9 II was 40 megapixels or something. I'm going to look that up. That's weird. Doesn't make much sense. So you neither know how to interpret this. The A9 II was also 24 megapixels. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe maybe that's the difference because I assume the A1 is much higher. But that's a weird distinction for those i just i just don't understand what the a9 line is for 
Is it for their action stuff? Is it for like sports photography, that sort of thing? Well, this camera definitely seems like it's for stuff like sports and wildlife photography. So maybe, but again, like I thought the A1 was good for that kind of stuff too. And this, it's like, if this is not the A1 Mark II, then what is, you know, like what, like where do they go up? Isn't that a good question? (laughs) Just hold on to your britches, Daniel. It's coming. Apparently. But maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Could, could be years away. Will we get an A1 Mark II before the A1 original gets focus breathing compensation? <laughs> well, actually, they announced some interesting stuff about that. Did you see that? No, I didn't. They announced that the A1 uh-huh. and the A7S III uh-huh. are both getting firmware updates for that feature. Oh, my god! So it's finally happening. <laughs> oh, people can stop complaining yeah. about it. Yep. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Every single blog post and YouTube video that I have consumed regarding this A9 Mark III mm-hmm. has had to explain to me what a global sensor is. <laughs> Nobody knows, Lucas, because this is the first one. It's the and first global sensor thing in a mirrorless camera. It's the first mirrorless full-frame <laughs> global shutter camera. And I just I have very distinct memories of us talking about it on this podcast uh-huh. and being corrected about like whether or not you can swap a, a, a shutter out on a camera. And then we had to talk about that specific like, yep, red I model. About that. Could, it's yep. just a whole thing. It was the whole you know, thing. Oh, geez. Do we need to go in? Do we have to go into it, Daniel? Why, I just, why don't we just say a global sensor reads the entire sensor at once? How about that? Oh, How about we just okay, stop done. there? Fine. Good. We, I complained about it more than we spent time on it. Yep. Okay. Now that we all know what mm-hmm. a global shutter is, yes. which I'm going to just use interchangeably with a global sensor. Yeah. Why is that important? What's what's cool here? What, what is this doing? Well, I mean, it's, it seems like what they're saying is that basically you can take pictures really fast, right? So like, like all the frame rates for video stuff are really high. You can take pictures so freaking fast (laughs) like the burst rate for photos is incredible on this camera the z9 and the z8 don't have a mechanical shutter they're they're still rolling shutter cameras but there's those stack sensors can read out crazy fast like so so fast a global sensor reads out instantaneously all at once and nikon oh we don't have we don't have to have a, a, a mechanical shutter because our sensor reads out so fast like this a a9 Mark III just puts that to complete shame. Yeah. The looking at other stack sensor cameras, the Z9 can do a one over thirty-two thousandth per second shutter speed. The XH2S does a paltry eight thousand, one over eight thousand. Yeah. The A9 III is one over eighty thousand. <laughs> eighty thousandth of a second. That's so fast. <laughs> it's it's absolutely insane. And because it can because it's reading everything at once. There's no more need for like trying to coordinate binning or alignment with lighting and that sort of thing or having, I said binning, but I mean like the lining within, like if you take a picture under LED lighting and with how it reads out, you'll get like streaking or banding. Yeah. And none of that. Yeah, that just doesn't happen. And so because of, because of the fact that it can read out completely, you can now sync with flashes at any shutter speed, which is insane. It doesn't have to be like, a derivative of 60 hertz or 50 hertz, mm-hmm, depending mm-hmm. upon like your electricity. It's just like, whatever you want to shoot a flash at one over 40,000th of a second, go for it. That's something you could never do before. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty stinking big deal. It's, it's interesting. Cause when we've talked about global shutter stuff, it's basically always been in the context of video because we're used to right. seeing it on like cinema cameras and stuff. Exactly. And it's interesting that this is, this is showing the advantages of it for photos, too. Right, because the A9 III is a photo camera. Mm-hmm. It's not a video camera. It can do video. It has pretty impressive video specs, yeah, it too. Does. It can do oversampled 6K. 6K. Yeah, it can do oversampled 6K. It can do oversampled 4K down from 6K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the sensor itself is 6K. It's a 24-megapixel yeah. sensor. Right, and, and it can do yeah. that up to 60 frames per second. That's mm-hmm. full-frame oversampled 4K 60. Yep. That's nuts. It can also do uh, 4K 120 without a crop, and yeah. it's the first Sony camera to be able to do that. That's that's super impressive. Yeah, it is. Like, this thing reads out so stinking fast. One of the biggest advantages of shooting on a smaller sensor like Micro Four Thirds is you get these fast read speeds. And you have like, Panasonic coming out with the, the G9 Mark II, and you know here's 80 frames per second that you can shoot with photo and it's like wow that that's amazing there's no way you can do that with full frame this is why you would shoot micro four thirds mm. 
<laughs> and now here's this A9 Mark III, which albeit costs twice as much. More. It's a six thousand dollar camera. Yeah, twenty five hundred. Yeah, twenty five hundred versus six thousand. Uh, you can shoot hundred and twenty frames per second, full frame raw photos. You <laughs> <laughs> can only do it for like a second and a half, but yeah, it can do it. It it sure can. <laughs> I like that they added they added a C five button, another a fifth custom button, mm-hmm. and it by default it's set as like a turbo mode, and so if you set your burst rate to you know twenty four frames per second. You can then hold down your your C five button and it'll like switch it over to 120. Ah, so you can cool. just be like shooting a lame 24 frames per second. You know, oh man, I need all of the frames now. Hold down your turbo button. <laughs> Boom. You can see though how that'd be perfect for sports and wildlife type stuff. Yeah, like, I mean that's exactly who this is geared towards. Yeah. And the other crazy thing about it, is because it reads so fast, you're not taking any hit on autofocus. Even if you're shooting 120 frames per second raw photos, you're getting autofocus on every frame. Yeah, that's that's impressive. And I mean, it does show you too that the processing power in this camera is mm-hmm. pretty incredible. The fact that you can save that many photos and do autofocus and all that, I mean, it's they they put some impressive capability in there. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. This is this is everything that we've ever wanted out of a fast reading sensor. This is this is the holy grail of that. Everything's yep. oh, this reads faster, this reads faster. Now we're doing stack sensors. We have faster shutter speeds. I mean, you're trying to get to instantaneous. There isn't a faster option. Like this is yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Like Sony's made it done. Well, and they've got the same pre-shot thing that uh, I think Nikon might have had that feature too, or basically like it's similar to like a phone camera mm-hmm. where it's constantly taking pictures. Yeah, and then when you press the button, it saves it. So like. It's instantaneous, but it can basically be like, like you can take the picture before you take the picture. Yep, a lot cool. of cameras do that. Your camera does this. Mm-hmm. The A9 does it. Z like the R3. A lot of cameras do it. Yeah, but they're not doing it at that speed. No, they're not. This just takes it absolutely to the next level, where you can just if you're holding the the shutter halfway, it's just continuously buffering at 120 frames per second until you hit the shutter, mm-hmm. and it has it has some interesting features that I'm curious to see actual reviews of. Like, uh, for instance, you know, if you're holding on half hole in the shot and you're getting all these photos, you can shoot it and then like, play it back like a video and then just pick your frame. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that yeah. way you're not having to go through 120 photos. Yeah. And they know that you're, you're trying to get that decisive moment. <laughs> yeah, I bet they said that in their marketing <laughs> a few times, didn't they? And so y- you, you pick the picture and you're done and you don't have to like cull through 120 photos. And so like they're really thinking about how people use it. And that, that feels like a, f- a feature that's lifted straight off of a phone. Yeah, it really does. I saw when I watched the like the Sony release video thing, they noted that they were doing you could do composite RAWs off of this sensor. What's that mean? What's a composite RAW? No one else has mentioned anything about it. So I might have been a little trepidatious of, of thinking, did I hear this wrong? But it sounded to me as if they're doing essentially what a phone does. Take 10 pictures, take five pictures, composite it into one picture. Not like like a different ISOs or something mm-hmm. different? Or do you yeah, mean, yeah. Okay. Well, not the different ISOs. I mean, you know how your phone, will you take a picture, it takes five pictures, and it combines it into one picture? Yeah. That. Okay. But it's doing it at, in RAW in order to reduce noise. Mm, and so okay. you can shoot these composite RAW files that are multiple raw images built into one raw image that then has a lot lower noise because they've taken a lot of different pictures in order to kind of bring that down. Interesting. It does make me wonder if they're adding that feature now because of noise. Yeah. And I mean, that's the big question here, right? Because that's normally the downside to global sensor is that the dynamic range usually isn't as good. And you have to imagine if they're pushing the limits on this stuff, there's got to be, there's got to be some kind of compromise. And like you said earlier, it seems like dynamic range and noise would be the two things that you would start hitting if you're like really pushing the limits on this mm-hmm. stuff. And you can start seeing it with some of the information that's coming out about the camera. So the base ISO is 250. Interesting. That's pretty high mm-hmm. for a full frame sensor. Yeah. And then it reads out to, I think it's 25,600, and then you can extend it to 52,100. It's, it's not a very big range. Yeah, so it's, it's one stop less than like the A7R5. Mm-hmm. So maybe slightly less range on the ISO, I'm expecting that it probably is going to be a little noisier at those higher ISOs comparatively to yeah. your other Sony cameras. I would bet so too. And it's not a dual gain 
sensor either. So it's not going to clean up whenever you get to mm-hmm. 3200 ISO. It's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So it's probably those are going to be the compromises that we see. Yeah. There, so there are some trade-offs compared to, you know, like a mm-hmm. more traditional setup. I am curious to see where the dynamic range lands whenever everyone does their testing. Sony seemed to imply that the dynamic range wasn't going to take too much of a hit, that you would still get somewhere in the 12 to 14, 16 stop range, 14 stop. There was a an announcement like two years ago where Sony was talking about stack sensors, and I think this is a stack sensor, and the layers and like how they're creating the like the photodiodes and how many layers are actually in that stack on the chip. And there was this like two layer thing versus three layer. And most stack sensors are three layers now, but they had pioneered this two layer option. And one of the advantages of which is that you could get lower noise off of the two layer. And it seems like people are saying that this is the two layer sensor. And I can throw a link into what that that article was, but yeah. so maybe they've tried to comp that maybe they've tried to compensate some for some of those issues. Yeah, so I'm expecting that this like this is probably a truly is a, a newer technology that we haven't seen in other cameras. Interesting, and they probably are getting a more appropriate level of noise and dynamic range out of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to expect that it's not going to be as competitive as something like an A7R5 when it comes to those two things. So then I think that brings up a good question. Like, let's say the DR and the noise are not quite as good as like an A7R5, A7 IV, you know, the cameras sure. like that. Do you think that trade-off's worth it? Yes, absolutely. If you're shooting action or sports or you need something where you need that instantaneous readout, totally worth the trade-off. Mm-hmm. I think that where it's going to get weird is like, you're shooting at 2.8 or 1.4 and you set your you don't want to set your ISO above 3200 because maybe you know maybe the noise is bad up there. I don't, we don't know. I'm just assuming yeah. that about 3200 is going to be where you don't want to shoot. You have a pretty limited ISO range. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're shooting at 1.4, how fast are you going to be able to get that shutter? Super cool that you can shoot at 1 over 80,000th of a second. Yeah. But realistically within the noise profile of that sensor, are you going to ever shoot that fast? Mhm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that this is pretty clearly not a good camera for like event stuff. You know, like if you're shooting a wedding or something. I don't know, like, man. Like assuming assuming it has these trade-offs that we're assuming it has. Sure, like, sure. You know, if the noise is worse, then like, I don't know, maybe not the right choice for that. Yeah, I would but. say that most, most indoor stuff that we've shot on APS-C, I'm shooting, if I'm shooting at 2.8, I will be at... 3200 ISO, maybe 6400 mm-hmm. ISO. And those are pretty dark environments. And so I would think for a wedding, if you're shooting full frame, it would not be unreasonable for it to be at F2.8 or F4 and then around maybe 1600 ISO mm-hmm. if you're pushing maybe. it. Maybe you're right. And a lot of photographers will use flashes and now you can set that flash to any That's shutter true. speed. So that is true. I think that this is going to be pretty appealing just because you have that buffer of 120 frames per second and you have flash sync and it's just so fast that those are probably going to be worthy trade-offs in order to be able to get images you couldn't have otherwise got even if they're slightly noisier and maybe the composite raw thing helps sure maybe those stinking you know ai yeah, noise AI reduction stuff all. yeah yes. sure in lightroom will make it all better who knows yeah yep. what about for video so we talked about it a little bit they're saying you know like 422 10-bit like S log three, and then they they announced the you know, the frame rate thing. And, yeah, and, and, and it can do a sixteen bit raw external. Okay, raw HDMI. I did not see that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just basically competitive with what their other stuff is. They're clearly not pushing the video specs on this as far yeah. as here's one of the reasons you're going to get this camera. Well, I mean, the main thing they did push that was different was like the the full sensor readout mm-hmm. um, oversampled four K as well as the no crop. Uh, 4K 120. Those are things that haven't yeah. happened before. But this is this is pretty cool and really appealing. And I think that for people who are shooting in the Sony world and they need something that is going to have no rolling shutter, here's finally a fantastic option that's yeah. going to be able to fit right into their workflow. And and uh, Sony cameras really have not traditionally been good at rolling shutter. Even, no. I mean, 
I mean, because I so personally, I feel like rolling shutter is not that big of a deal for the way most people shoot video. <gasps> but I'm also like, we're on XH2S with a stack sensor, and like the rolling shutter isn't that bad. Oh, Sony incredible. rolling shutter is pretty bad. And so, like, if you're a if you're a Sony shooter, this is a pretty big step forward in that regard. It definitely is. I do think that some of their more cinema oriented cameras have a lot more things that you would want for video. And if you don't need the instantaneous shutter capture, then someone is probably still going to gravitate towards an FX3 or an FX30. Maybe, well, well, for, at, for this, this category, let's say FX3. At this price point, FX6? even the FX6. Yeah, yeah. sure. And, because those are going to have more of the features in them. They're going to have the dual gain ISO. They're going to have better low light performance. They're going to have better noise performance. They're going to have better dynamic range. And just in general will be better for video unless the thing you need video for is moving really fast. Yeah. I think this is going to pair really well with those options. Yeah. I think so too. So looking at looking at their competitors, I mean, Nikon has their Z9 stuff. And before this came out, if you're looking for a sports or wildlife camera, something that's got really good zooms and really fast readouts, like you're looking at you're looking at Nikon. Right. Yeah. The the Z9 with its stacked 40 megapixel sensor, 40 something megapixel sensor. Fantastic. I feel like there's still room for that here in that it is 40 megapixels. Well, and the uh, lens ecosystem. I mean, one thing Nikon has going for them is they've got a lot of lenses and a lot of zooms. Yeah. Sony also has a lot of lenses and a lot of zooms. They just released a 300 millimeter 2.8 prime yeah, with this thing. I saw that. It's crazy. Yeah. And it, and it look it's like small too. It's yeah. not, not that heavy. It's like super light. It's yeah. the lightest in its class. Yep. Costs the same as the camera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think that the the Z9 is the closest competitor to this for like sports, wildlife, action, that sort of thing. And that you may still favor the Nikon for the lenses and for the megapixels yeah. the resolution. The other big competitor to this thing is the R3. It was a big True. deal for Canon. It was like, here's our first stack sensor that we've ever made. and But that one's only 24 megapixels. It has a worse EVF. It has worse sh- shutter speed, worse burst rates. There's nothing better about the Canon R3 than mm. the A9 yeah. Mark III. Yeah. It, it, it it's, just got, total, it's got those Canon colors. It, it destroys the R3 in like every single But those category. Canon colors. No, no. <laughs> Oh boy, it's just it just dances circles around it. It's gonna be better for autofocus. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can match colors JD camera at this point with those raw files. Like shooting speed, it's not a higher megapixel sensor. It's there's there's nothing that this is R3 does better than the this A9 is what we R3. like to see. We like to see that level of competition because mm-hmm. you know, somebody's gotta keep pushing these companies to make better and better stuff. And right now it's Sony. Yeah. Nikon Nikon and Canon, you know, are pretty threatened by this and they should be they should they absolutely should be for their high-end you know, sport wildlife photo market whoo mm-hmm. yeah i think it's a pretty exciting release yeah me too it's it's just something that we haven't i feel like i said it before i feel like we haven't seen something like this from sony in a while yeah and just this new sensor tech is absolutely unbelievable yeah it is i am curious to see where they go from here with now with a global global sensor, you know, I thought I thought whenever we saw stack sensors start rolling out, that they we would eventually start seeing them come come down the line and see them in more cameras. And this was going to be the new big thing that we were still a ways away from global shutter sensors, and we were just going to be on stacked systems for a little while. And it just hasn't happened. You have the yeah, Z8, there's still not that very not very many of them. No, it's XH2S, Z8, Z9, R3. A1. That's a that's basically it. The I think the OMD one OM one is stacked. And yeah, it's there's not there's not that many. There's just right. a handful. And most of those, like the Z9 came out two years ago, the A1 came out two or three years ago. And the, we're just not seeing anything. They didn't they didn't release the A7R5 as a stack sensor. Mm-hmm. It's it just hasn't become ubiquitous like I thought it was going to. And now Sony's just moving on to the next thing. Yep. Yep. It, it just, it, feel- I mean, it, it makes me understand why they didn't put it in the A7R5 because they probably just didn't care to develop it if they knew they were working on this global sensor thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it feels like certain, uh, certain TV technology like, you know, OLED or, or QDOT 
where we're probably going to end up jumping over those and move straight to like micro LED or, or nano, whatever you're going to call it, like the just all individual LEDs for the pixels. And, you know, OLED is just never going to become everything that it could be and was mm-hmm. like the, the promised sun of the future or whatever. It feels like stack sensors may end up in that world. Like I am, eh, the global sensor is still stacked. Like it's still a viable technology, but I guess you mean a rolling shutter stacked sensor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like that was like the promise of the future. Yeah. And I do wonder if, you know, the net, the a seven S four that will eventually come out in, geez, probably like 2027 or something silly. When did that other one, yeah, that other one came out three years ago. Yeah. It's getting pretty old. And the a seven S two was, it was like four years or five years. It was pretty long before that thing released. Yeah. The a seven three was long awaited or sorry, a seven S three. Yeah. Long awaited. And so I would expect that we're going to see an a seven five and then it's going to be like two years and then Maybe. we're going to see an a seven S four. Yeah. So we're probably still, you know, three years at least away from an mm-hmm. A7S4. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm generally, I'm going to be curious to see like whether Sony's future cameras use this technology or if it's still, like maybe it's still just way too expensive and has compromises. And so maybe it's just on their really high-end stuff for a few more years. Yeah, that's what kind of where I'm getting is, is, is this a test bed and they're going to see how it goes? Or are we going to see the next, you know, A7S camera have a global sensor, maybe mm-hmm. with dual gain? That would be that would be pretty impressive. That would be very competitive with certain cinema cameras. Yeah. And I know that you know Aerie doesn't do a global sensor, and that's because you're you're losing on the dynamic range. And that's the whole deal with them is you know we have the most dynamic range on these cameras, and like look at this image quality and all this sort of thing. And I feel like maybe they'd have too much compromise for it. But I'm wondering if Sony's new approach to their sensor technology is going to kind of absolve us of some of the you know, yeah. issues with with global sensors. Right, you know, with that two-layer thing. And all yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just real interesting where it's going. What I'm curious to see is whether this is the sensor that would be in the S1H Mark II. No, I feel like it can't be. I still I still think the S1H Mark II is going to shoot 8K. Yeah, and I, this is not an 8K sensor. No, no it's not. resolution. Yeah, so there is still room for cameras like the A7R5 and the Z9 and the A1 and the R5 because they're 40, 60 megapixels. Yeah. And sometimes you just need that resolution. Mm-hmm. I, I may be wrong. Maybe maybe Sony's going to sell Panasonic this stacked sensor for their, for their <laughs> S1. I mean, this one H is a 24 megapixel sensor. So, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be out of question for them to release that as a 6K camera. And Panasonic did say that they don't think that consumers want 8K right now. That's true. They did say that. But I, I, it's like I sort of want it to have it and then I sort of don't because I don't want the S1H Mark II to cost $6,000. I mean, the other one costs $4,000. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the whole deal, Daniel. Is a big been, jump up. They've been waiting on Sony to release this camera so that then they can release the S1H well, Mark II kinda, next year with the global sensor. That's kind of what I'm wondering, but I don't know. It's just uh, obviously just a wild theory. Canon really re- needs to release the R1. Yeah. And it is. and I hope I hope for their sake that it's competitive with this camera at least. Oh boy, can you imagine how embarrassing it would be if Sony like just be like maybe the person at Canon they're they're in their boardrooms planning or whatever. And then, oh, Sony's not going to come out with a global sensor for another 2 years. It's not going to happen. We 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 have this new fancy pants sensor for our R1. And it's going to be the best thing ever. Like it's way better than anything that anyone has right now. There's no way anyone's going to beat us to this. And like Sony is still way far off on the global sensor. And like we got this covered. And they're like getting ready to announce it. I don't know when it's going to come out. But they're getting ready to announce it. And now Sony has this press conference. <laughs> it's like, oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, we're just going to see the R1 show up on Canon's website. <laughs> they're not even going to no announce event. it. It's like a really subtle press release on Friday at 5 o'clock. <laughs> Available for pre-order. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Canon. <laughs> oh, boy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Canon's got something else up its sleeves. They're the only sensor manufacturer out there, Daniel. I kind of feel like poor Nikon because I feel like what Nikon really had going for it was that Z9 with the mm-hmm. fast, uh, you know, no no mechanical shutter and fast speed. And Nikon doesn't feel like it has quite as much, like, brand cachet as Canon does these days. And 
one of their big I feel like one of their big selling points was they were so ahead on specs and this uh it's kind of beats that out. Yeah, it it really does. The Z9 didn't come out too far after the A1 and they have very similar sensors. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like Sony would save the best for themselves. Sure. But I f- I can see a world where the some Z camera has this sensor. I can't say it as a successor to the Z9, like a Z9 Mark II, because it's too low megapixel. There's no way it's a Z6, because we've already agreed that the Z6 Mark III is just the Nikon FC, but rebodied. Mm, well, and plus, I mean, that, they're not going to put this in a low-tier camera. ZF? Did I get the name of that Yeah, right? ZF, ZFC. Yeah. ZF and ZFC. Yeah, the C is the um, APS-C one. Right. Okay. It can't be an A7. Or A7, geez, it can't be a Z7, because that's a 40 megapixel sensor. Yep. Like they're going to drop that one down. They've already used Z8. It would, Z5 have, it would have to be a new version of the Z9. It's the only thing that makes sense with their uh, Nine, naming eight, scheme. Seven, six, five. They don't have a Z4. That would be too low. Z1. Z10. They don't have a Z1 either. That would be confusing. Hmm. Z1 or Z9 too. Yep. I, I don't know. We'll, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I guess we will. Maybe there's a maybe there's a forty megapixel version of the sensor sitting around. Just put two of them on top of each other. <laughs> Go like really vertical with it. Yeah, yeah, like a <laughs> vertical anamorphic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What couldn't couldn't they just like? I know it would be crazy expensive, but couldn't you just take four of these things and like put them together? <laughs> is this a, is it just a processing power problem? Couldn't you paralyze it? Couldn't you do four sensors and four processors and have a global sixty five millimeter? That <laughs> medium format and sensors. <laughs> What's stopping them, Daniel? All of the things you just said. <laughs> Cost, processing power. I want you to think about this. Are you going to buy $24,000 worth of camera sensors? I just assumed they'd add more and then it's going to be a $30,000 camera. Yeah. Imagine this $30,000 camera, Daniel, that has this quad 35 millimeters. We're talking 70 millimeter across. Think about how big those lenses are. Think about <laughs> just think about that image circle for it's a too while. Much. Too much. I want you to look at your forearm. Bigger. <laughs> <laughs> now look at your quad. Bigger. <laughs> I don't know whether I should be insulted or not. <laughs> kind of a little insulted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Other th- other thing. Other things about this camera. I th- I, I, we've talked about it so much, but. It seems like they brought all the cool stuff from the A7R5. Yep. They got, it has the new IBIS. It has that nine point whatever million dot EVF. It's got mm-hmm. the really cool flippy screen deal yep. where it can be like photo mode or video mode. I think it has all the AI stuff. It's it? got all the AI stuff. It's got all the autofocus stuff. It's just everything that we got out of the A7R5 that made that camera super, super cool. You got in the A9 III. Yeah. It's nice that you don't give anything up considering you're paying so much more for it. I feel like a lot of people bought the A7R5 for video stuff. As you know, here's a good hybrid camera, and I think the A93 now makes more sense mm. as the hybrid camera, and the A7R5 is more of your high resolution stills now. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right, but the the cost is so high. I mean, because the A7R5 is probably like in the four thousand dollar range. I guess so. Yeah, and I mean, this is six thousand dollars is substantially more than that. I feel like once you get over forty five hundred dollars for a camera, the price just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, like the kind of people that are buying it are just you just whatever. round up. <laughs> It's a half or not. It's, it's these, a half an hour mount lens. It's all these YouTubers with more money than sense, man. You, I've seen, I've already seen people talk, YouTubers talking about how great this camera is and how they want one. It's like they don't need a global sensor camera, but I mean, I kind of want one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> yep, I'm looking at these two things that I dropped in here, and I think we talked about both of them already. Do we need to talk about this 300 millimeter anymore? I think we covered that. I feel good about that one. Okay, that's it. That's everything. Yep. Right? Here's one more note here. I wrote down murder town for stacked. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think that's what you were saying earlier about how, uh, you know, we just kind of passed over rolling shutter stacked sensors. We sure did. I'm still just really confused by this A1, A7, A9 situation. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make much sense to me either, but I I think they just got trapped in their model numbers. I think they want... they. They've done this every other number thing. You know, they have like A7, A9, but mm-hmm. then like they don't want to go to double digits because that communicates a lower tier. And so where do you go from nine? 
there's literally every number between seven and one. <laughs> well, what I, what I mean is like they like are you are you confused about why there's an A one? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're just like this one's the best, so it's it's the one. But do you think that's a one off? Do you think there's never going to be another A one? It would fit, right? Just one, just one A one. Yeah, no, but yeah, it could also sense. be it could also be like maybe because Canon does that with their numbers. Maybe they wanted to be like this is our like top tier thing. But I still just don't get why this is not an A one Mark II. That's strange. What if? But what if you're right? What if after the A seven seven, that's it. They're done. Why There's only one A1. Yep. There's seven A7s. <laughs> and there'll be nine A9s. And then they'll be finished. Yeah. And that'll be it. Yeah. But for, fortunately, we have uh, we have a lot more A6700s to come. <laughs> <laughs> You're very true. They can, yep. just, they can just build on that forever. Yeah, so we got th- three years between release dates. So there's, uh, there's still nine more years before we're done with the A7 series. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's just all APS-C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the for the rest of eternity until the sun burns out there will be a6700 yep a6701 a6702 anyways canon released a new lens yeah. <laughs> canon did something good yep this is a it's pretty cool daniel did you yeah. see this thing i did see this thing i i'm going to put this on the notes lucas um i did see that they announced it it's a 24 to 105 f2.8 and i think it's the first uh, f2.8 lens in that focal length uh yes but yeah for full frame it is absolutely mm-hmm. the first one in in that focal length this is they just keep doing this daniel just think back like three episodes ago i can't I was, remember back that far i was trying to emphasize to you how impressive it was that canon made a full frame 10 millimeter yep. zoom lens. well i think this one's more impressive because this is actually a useful focal range i don't care about 10 millimeter i, just, I don't need 10 millimeter just, they just keep doing it yeah we're wondering why is anyone going to buy an R3 when the A9 Mark III exists? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because Canon keeps making lenses that no one else is making. Well, you know, I appreciate it because I, I feel like RF mount has been sorely lacking for lenses, partially because Canon won't open it up. And I appreciate that they're actually making new things that give you new capabilities rather than just like a Mark II of a lens that gives you, you know, infinitesimally better image quality, you know, like some tiny little you know, step forward, like having a better aperture is a meaningful improvement and that's cool to see. Do you know how much this thing weighs, Daniel? I know it's heavy, but I don't remember how much it weighs. Do you think it weighs more or less than a knocked? I think it weighs less than a knocked, but not by as much as we would like. I am struggling to find the weight. 40, there's no way it's 46. Oh, that sounds says. 1,330 grams. That's what I'm talking about. That's not that heavy. It weighs basically as much as like a 70 to 200 2.8. Yeah. And it's almost the same size too. Yeah. It actually weighs a little bit less than that uh, 300 millimeter F2.8 from Sony. The one that just came out. That, is, that makes that 300 millimeter sound really impressive now. Yeah. Yeah. They put the they put the glass like farther back in that thing so that it's more balanced. Interesting. It's very interesting. Huh. Anyway. 24 to 105 f 2.8 dude yeah super cool pretty well breathed like they basically built this as a hybrid lens mm-hmm. so you can like shoot it for photo but also it's really good for video they made it so that it has gears on the aperture and the focus ring mm-hmm. and then you can buy this module that you slap onto the side of it and then it will work with your camera's built-in buttons in order to you know, pull focus or do electronic zoom. Like you can do, yeah. you know, push the button and it will zoom in and zoom out like a power zoom. Yeah, which is really cool because there you, there have been lenses you could buy that are power zoom lenses. Like I know Sony makes some and even Fuji has one now. But this is kind of a neat idea where it's like, it's not power zoom out of the box, but you can add on this thing if you want that. Pretty neat. It is pretty cool. They have a declicked aperture on this thing, which I've heard is a little annoying and that you can't toggle it. You can't choose to be Declicked or not declick, like click or not de- You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying, yeah. but what do you mean by you can't choose? It's just it, it's always declicked. Yes, it's always okay. declicked. So you you can't you can't like toggle that on and off. Yeah, but maybe that's a little annoying, but I, I I'd get over that. I think it's fine. It's got that front control ring. This thing has so many features, Daniel. Yeah. It's got I mean, so it's- many rings on it. It's got buttons. You can set like 
two custom buttons. It's, it's crazy. Cool, it's a cool lens, no doubt. Two lens custom buttons. <laughs> I mean, the 24 to 105 is a super useful focal length, and having that in 2.8 is great. I think it's pretty expensive, though, right? Oh, it's very expensive. Yeah, it's, a couple thousand like, dollars, three thousand dollars, maybe. Something. Yeah, it's around. It's around that three thousand dollar price point. Yeah. This yeah. is the do everything lens. Mm-hmm. You could, if you switch back to Canon, you just buy this lens. Yep. And you don't need just anything else. One lens. You just need this one. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's not you know like, like if you were a Canon shooter, I could totally imagine people just needing this one lens. It would cover most things. I think this is this is a good lens for definitely for wedding stuff mm-hmm. where you know you're always having to switch between your 24 to 70 and your 70 to 7200 and you don't get quite the range of the 7200 but I mean, 105 gets you pretty far yep yep you know it could be good for like a tripod use case if you have like a fixed camera somewhere you know sure. like a broadcast situation or something mm-hmm. it's a useful lens for sure i think that it's for they don't have a ton of video options in rf they did finally release all those Cine Primes, mm-hmm. which are really nice yep. and ginormous and expensive. But if you're looking for like a hybrid lens for like your your R5C or whatever, maybe not that one, but that you need for, you can shoot video with, but also you're going to use it as a hybrid to then shoot photos. This feels like kind of the perfect lens for that application. Yeah, I agree. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. Good and job, Canon. I confirmed uh, $3,000. Yeah, yeah. So pricey. But honestly, like I kind of expected it to be more expensive than that because a lot of those premium RF lenses are really high. Like the 70 to 200 is 23 or $2,400. Yeah, so, I would have I would have uh, not been surprised to see this at like 3500 But yeah. But don't tell Canon that. It's too expensive, Canon. You need to make it cheaper. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, man. You put on the show notes here about the Apple event being shot on iPhone. Yes, I did. And I wrote next to it, boo. <laughs> I I'm, I'm so sick of talking about the iPhone and the video features. All they did was add log and remove the, the stuff that makes it bad. Okay, so first off, when you said boo, I thought it's because that event was on Halloween. It was the day before Halloween. <laughs> It was the night before Halloween. This should have been just, spookier, honestly. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, you're, you're right, but I don't know. I just I just thought it was neat. Everybody was talking about it. Felt like felt like it was worth mentioning that it's, they did that. It's just the hot new thing, Daniel, yeah. to talk about how, how good the video is out of the iPhone. But that's not really what the story is around this. I mean, that's what some people think the story is. But have you seen all the drama on the internet about it? Because there's some people that are saying, oh, Apple said it was shot on the iPhone, but they're uh, they're leaving out all the expensive lights and gimbals and stuff, and it's like fake advertising. There's people saying that. Oh yeah, they feel they feel deceived because yeah. they basically took their Airy 65 setup with all of the crew and all of the gear and all of the lighting, and then just swapped in an iPhone 15 yes. Pro Max. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's people that feel that way, and then there's people that are like, "Look what you can do with just an iPhone." And so you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It is. I just the iPhone 15 when you're shooting in Apple Log legitimately good footage we shot an interview we set up the iphone to shoot with it and i have now like graded the footage and we didn't do a good job we just kind of set it up really quickly and it was basically overexposed by two stops yeah i was able to bring it down two stops match the footage it's a little clippy on the highlights and where like where the highlight hits the person's face I basically have some unrecoverable parts and mm-hmm. like it's really hard to kind of stretch that out but even with you know, adjusting the curves and like fixing the grade and color matching to my other footage. I'm not getting any banding. I'm not getting, the footage is not falling apart. It's just, it's a, it's good codec. It holds up. I can match it and it just works. Yeah. But I don't know how much of that is, you know, is Apple doing something interesting or do they literally just apply log? I don't want to make it sound simple, Yeah. but what's, I, I get it. I don't get it. Why is, it used to be it's like all these different features. Like you're shooting HDR video and you know, here you got your Pixel or your Samsung and it can take all this really cool video stuff. And what we all wanted this whole time was like, don't do anything weird to the footage. Don't do any weird tone mapping. Just get me a flat profile that has a good codec yep. and it's just going to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? One, like on Android, you can have all these different custom apps. Why did, how come, how come it took until this point for anyone to realize that, 
oh wow, now we're using Apple iPhones for like shooting movies and now they're like really, really good all of a sudden. And it's like anyone could have done this if they had just, you know, stuck log and a good Kodak into the camera. Yeah. I don't know. Am, I mean Am I, I misunderstanding that? Well, I I think that, you know, we've we've known for a long time that the reason phones do all those tricks is basically to make up for the physics of not having good optics. Sure. And so I think that maybe it just wasn't realistic to take all that stuff out until we hit some certain level of, you know, like sensor technology and micro optic type stuff. Because clearly, if you're going to take all that stuff out, you have to have a good enough like raw image to make it work. And even this probably is not like literally a raw image. I'm sure they're still doing a lot of image processing the same way any camera does. They just took out the parts that people don't like. So I think we did have to get to a certain point of technology before this was possible. And so that's why we haven't had this for years and years. But I mean, you do have a good point. Like there's nothing stopping Google or Samsung or whoever else from offering these same features. They just haven't done it. And it seems like Apple was the first one to do it. And I think they deserve some credit for that, for seeing what was seeing what people wanted or or predicting what people wanted and giving them that because the other companies seem like they haven't really done that. And I'm sure they will now, you know, like now that Apple's done it, I'm I'm sure we're going to see Samsung and Google release similar things, or at least Samsung. Google will probably get bored and, you know, cancel the pixel or something. But I mean, we'll probably see them do it, (laughs) but I don't know. I mean, I I think it's cool. Um, I think it's super cool that my phone can take video that we can match with an X-H2S. That's not something we could do last year. No. And I think Apple deserves some credit just for pioneering, putting those features in a phone, advertising it like in a keynote and like legitimatizing that as a tool. I think, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's fantastic. I love, I love the record to ProRes, record to an external SSD, you know, add the F-Log support, all this sort of thing. And it's just great to finally have that in the camera that I have with me, although not me, but that a person could have with them all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm yes. not fancy like you with my iPhone 15. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't, it's like we finally got to that point, but I, just, I don't understand why we couldn't have done it earlier. Well, it's like, good. it's... No, they, nobody did. Like, <laughs> I get, yeah, I get, like, that's, it's all fine. I just, I find it a little frustrating because I'm like, we've been, this is all we've been asking for. Mm-hmm. Is like, as you know, cool you shoot like iphone's shot good video for years i have a 12 pro max it shoots good video yeah it doesn't shoot log it does weird tone mapping like i like let me just like turn off the hdr and get a 10-bit image like mm-hmm. it's i feel like the hardware and the capabilities there and it's like they finally realized oh this is what we need to do in order to provide an image that people will actually be able to use right and then once they did it now it's like I shot this on an iPhone and it's better than your FX30 and all this crazy stuff. There is. Yeah. I will say that USB-C thing, which is new for the new iPhones, I think is a pretty big part of what makes this realistic because when we shot that interview, we did shoot it to a, to an SSD mm-hmm. and that definitely made it easier than trying to download that footage from the phone over USB 2, you know, cause like lightning USB was always limited to USB 2.0 speed. Oh Jesus. So slow. That would be terrible. Mm-hmm. So, I do feel like the USB-C stuff was an enabling technology. And so maybe that's why Apple didn't do it previously. But I don't know. I don't know why they didn't have it before. I'm glad they have it now. And, you know, we'll probably see this on Android soon. I thought that the Apple event looked really good. And I've I've looked at the footage that you've shot, and I've done some grading and editing with it. And I still feel like the level of detail of the iPhone sensor is not quite as good as what i'm getting out of my fuji camera yeah and it's just sensor size and just purely the, the literally the level of detail where you you zoom in and how much like bumps and and movement and stuff on skin and just the well the way that things look and how not smooth yeah things look yeah that doesn't surprise me at all and but also like the way that most people watch footage like i can't i can't see even like when i'm in the editor and it's a small window i can't see it and you know most people are going to watch stuff on their yeah. phone watch it back on your phone you can't see it mm-hmm. even like you play it on a projector you're sitting far away you can't see it and it's like does it really matter yeah and, and i think the answer is no like you can use your iphone for especially with like the log and all the things you can use it for anything you want mm-hmm. and like no one's going to notice and no one's going to care and it's just going to look really good 
It's not going to look as good as like your A9 Mark III, but yeah. it holds its own. Yeah, pretty cool. <sighs> we talked about it. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm not happy. No more. We said no more phone stuff. And here we are, still talking about the iPhone and stupid log profiles. And it's like perfectly fine. <sighs> That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.